welcome to The Pemberley Podcast, a podcast where we discuss Jane Austen adaptations, now covering Bridgerton on Netflix. I'm Yolanda Rodriguez. And I'm Julian Davis. We're proud partners of the Frolic Podcast Network, a community made up of your favorite voices in all of Romancelandia and beyond. Keep up with us on Twitter and Instagram at The Pemberley, and you can email us at thepemberleypodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Pemberley Podcast. We've been on hiatus for a couple of months. It's been a nice break, and we are excited to be talking about this stuff again. We recognize that recently we've sort of gotten a lot more followers on our social media, and so we just wanted to take this opportunity to sort of reintroduce ourselves to people. I can go first. I'm Jillian. Yolanda and I have been doing this podcast for over four years. We started mm-hmm. September of 2016. I am a TV film development exec at Frolic Media, which also happens to be the company that is our podcast network. What do I like do, you know? Because I used to do, <laughs> I used to have hobbies and now I just stay inside and I just watch Regency things all day. I'm, I'm outraged that Pride and Prejudice is getting taken off of Netflix at the end of the year. That's me. I'm Yolanda. I'm a show producer at BuzzFeed and I've been there for a few years now making fun videos for the internet. I feel like at the beginning of quarantine, I was trying to to like practice music more and right now I'm really into my Duolingo app trying to learn French. It was a pre-Emily in Paris thing, but I think it only got heightened because of Emily in Paris. So I've been I've been, you know, leveling up there. <laughs> yeah. So how this podcast came to be and how we met back in 2016, we both started working for Bernie Sue, who was uh, one of the co-creators of the Lizzie Bennet Diaries. We started as writing interns and then later uh, assistants for his company. In that time, Yolanda came to me and was like, hey, what if we started a podcast about the Lizzie Bennet Diaries? And that sounded like a great idea because I'd seen plenty of podcasts that are more Jane Austen centric that dedicated one episode to the Lizzie Bennet Diaries, but I'd never heard like something that covered the entire series. So we started from there. And then afterwards, we just wanted to talk about Emma. Emma Approved was uh, Bernie's second web series within the Pemberley digital umbrella. Mm -hmm. And we got to cover that. And we also have like interviewed cast and writers and have had Bernie on as a guest as well and Hank Green. And so we've been able to kind of get the full story behind different shows. Then we went on to cover Sanditon, which was like our first newer show. That was the PBS series that unfortunately is only one season long, but yeah. you know, things ended there. And then we just wrapped up covering Recipe for Persuasion by Sonali Dove, which was the first book we covered. Uh, yeah. And so that was really fun and we got to talk to Sonali. So, you know, there's a lot of different things that we've been diving into and covering and even though Bridgerton is outside of specifically a Jane Austen adaptation, I think there's just been so much hype around it and it's still within the same Regency world and romance. It just felt like a great fit and we wanted to talk about the show. It just checks so many boxes for us and so we're excited to dive in. So both of us actually started reading the first book in the Bridgerton series, The Duke and I. And actually, I'm reading a, a comment on the cover of this book that says, Julia Quinn is truly our contemporary Jane Austen. And so, you know, we're going to cover it one episode at a time while still also we're, we'll reference the book sometimes. Let's dive into Bridgerton. Yeah, the show itself, pretty well known that it's an adaptation of the Bridgerton books by Julia Quinn. There's many books in this series because there's many family members in the Bridgerton 
families, so you get to learn about all of them. Season one of Bridgerton specifically is covering the first book, The Duke and I, which is going to focus more on Daphne Bridgerton and her entry into society. But the series itself is under the Shondaland umbrella with Shonda Rhimes at Netflix. Chris Van Dusen is the creator, showrunner, and executive producer of this. So this is literally something that I'm sure he has spent so much time thinking about and caring for and, and helping to craft it from book to screen. So interesting about him is that 16 years ago, he started as Shonda Rhimes's assistant and he's been working on all shows Shonda like Grey's Anatomy, Private Practice, The Catch, and Scandal. So now this it's really cool that this is like his first show that's like fully on his own to like run with and you have Julia Quinn, who's given her blessing on this show, will now get to dive into this world. The book itself, I don't believe it showcased any diversity or anything like that. And so they decided to do diverse casting for this show. And I would compare it to like the Brandy Cinderella, where like there's just diverse great casting. Movie. Yes, it's a great <laughs> movie. It's just like great actors in these roles, and it's like you're not looking to just cast one type of person who looks a specific way. It's like how does our world look, and how do you want this to be a diverse movie? And so, in the same way, Bridgerton, you have this really beautiful diverse cast of of people, and so. Uh, I think that's what's what also makes it really stand out. But also the costumes stand out. I know there have been a little bit of complaints around the costumes and maybe not being the most accurate or the most specific to the time. But I think it is a more like contemporary look on Regency in the same way that, Jillian, you mentioned that Julia in herself is referred to as a contemporary Jane Austen. I think we, we can look at this series as not a sort of direct Regency adaptation. It is just more of a contemporary look and fun look at at that time. Aesthetically, it's very glamorous, you know, like lots of sparkles and diamonds. And you're right, just like a lot of like trim. I feel like most of our experience with um, Regency costumes does come from the movies and TV shows. Mm -hmm. So I think we are used to seeing these sort of more plain gowns. And these are like everyone has something that like shimmers and shines and has a beautiful pattern. I have no issue with it. Like, I kind of, I think that, like, the creative changes that they made in the show is part of the charm and and part of what makes it so special and probably, honestly, part of, like, how they got this made because I I feel like most historical shows, movies, anything, it's always an uphill battle just because it's so expensive. And this is certain, this is... I think the demonstration of that, I'd be so curious to know what the budgets were for these eight episodes. It does not bother me that it's not exactly correct because it's great. It's its own sort of fantasy world. I think it's good for them to lean into a certain aesthetic. I think as we saw with Emma 2020, like when you really lean into a certain aesthetic, it really makes it stand out. That movie in itself is so bright and colorful and so lively because of the color palette they went with this series it is like just very vibrant everywhere so Mm -hmm. even like the fact that the featheringtons uh you know their color is yellow and so it's just like constant yellow gowns there but yeah you know it stands out you totally don't need to read the book in order to appreciate the show because they are two different things like in tone and in everything like that so why don't we dive into the first episode diamond of the first 
First Water. And it's basically about the Bridgerton family, which is a single widowed mother, Violet, and her eight children. You can tell how old everyone is because they were named from A to H. And you've got, let's see if I can do it. Anthony, Benedict, Colin, Daphne, Eloise. Who's F? I do have it written down here, but it's... Francesca. Francesca, Gregory, and Hyacinth. Yes. Yay! <laughs> and well, and the thing is in the, sh- I mean, kind of in the books as well as in the show, you're kind of focusing on like Eloise up. Eloise is no, not even like old enough to be out in society. And so she's younger. So the kids just kind of blend together because they're <laughs> off. They're doing kid things. So really we're focusing on our uh, eligible Bridgerton kids, which I would like to commend this show for is just casting really cute guys like everybody is so freaking attractive oh another thing we would like to disclose here so an issue that we don't usually run into is talking about sexual situations because you know a lot of Jane Austen wrote very much about the manners and uh, there's definitely that in this show they throw you right in with some partial nudity and some uh, sex scenes if you were like oh maybe this would be great to watch with my mom or with my grandma just like have a really good relationship with with them <laughs> because um there's some sex scenes in the first episode kind of throws you right in it was i was a bit caught off guard and i was like oh we're going right into this because i have heard that like based on the books it is going to be a little more risque but didn't expect it kind of right <laughs> almost yeah. right at the beginning it's in the first five minutes i'd say oh, my but goodness. also it's It's based on a romance novel. So, like, I was kind of ready for it. I was like, who's it going to be? When's it going to be? I feel like they made it seem like the kind of show you could watch with your families. And I'm like, no, I would never watch this with my family. Daphne is being introduced into society. It is now her time to get married or, you know, try to find a suitor. And so what is customary is that all of the uh, young eligible women are introduced to the queen. I'm guessing that nothing typically happens. It's more like the queen will look at them, maybe say something, maybe not say anything, and then they kind of walk away. And that will ultimately determine how well their season goes. It's a really big deal. They want to try to make the best impression. At the same time, you have Daphne Bridgerton. You also have the Featheringtons. There's three young women who are being introduced at the same time, which like one in itself is a lot on a family. But to have three young women who are, you know, trying to get matches at the same time. And unfortunately for one, you know, they like tightened her bodice like so much. She like collapsed in front of the queen. And so they're really worried that like if one of them looks bad, they kind of all look bad. But then Daphne enters and she is like perfect. Like her dress perfect. The train is beautiful. Everything about her is like just stands out. There's this big deal when the queen actually stands up. Flawless, my dear. She kisses her on the forehead and I think later calls her incomparable. On one hand, it's like the best thing that could happen to her because it's like, oh my goodness, I'm gonna have all these like potential people coming to my feet, basically. But on the other hand, it's like there's a target on her back because now all the other young ladies who have been introduced are like, I need my chance to. Did that truly just happen to Keep smiling, dearest. Now watching you. Now more than ever. She's the one to beat, which is yeah. as flattering as it is 
difficult. So there's a, a couple things going on that we're introduced to in the beginning of this series, like Daphne's literal entrance into society as a young woman trying to find a, a suitor. We're also introduced to the gossip column penned by Lady Whistledown, who is voiced mm-hmm. by Julie Andrews. There's lots and lots of gossip columns in this day and age, but what's different about Lady Whistledown is she names people. She's not like, oh, someone was seen in the garden with so-and-so. She's like, Daphne Bridgerton has been declared the favorite, and she's courting the do and she's like all these things the sort of other big mystery of this season is who is lady whistledown because it's an anonymous pen name it's kind of like a regency gossip girl full disclosure yolanda and i were dying to know who it was so we spoiled it for ourselves we will not yes, spoil it for you not here yeah <laughs> no we won't do it here we'll talk uh, we hear that it is revealed in the last episode so the last episode of our podcast will do it we can always theorize about you know is it a man is it a woman is it one of the mothers is it one of our main cast members? Like, who could it be? Because I still think it's an interesting mystery of just like, who would want to expose people like that? Even though Daphne and her romance with the Duke or faux romance with the Duke is sort of our main plot point. It is very much an ensemble because you get to see yeah. not only the Bridgerton siblings, but like you said, the Featheringtons. Yolanda and I are also huge fans of Nicola. We talk about her like she's a friend. We don't know her. She doesn't know. Know, well, we know her. She doesn't know us. And she <laughs> played Claire in Dare girls which is a show i have definitely rewatched several times in quarantine great show have you Phenomenal seen show. the great british bake off episode yes i did yet? okay great yes i did several people you were one of them said like you really must watch it it is delightful and holy crap were you right sidebar phenomenal episode great british <laughs> bake-off with the cast of dairy girls the woman who plays the nun is just so hilarious oh my gosh sister michael she's very witty if you're into sarcasm that episode yeah. is perfect for you anyway uh, nicola, nicola <laughs> plays, like, how did we get here she plays penelope featherington who is kind of the black sheep of her family i mean her mom is under a lot of stress the way i will describe the way sh- her mother dresses her and her two older sisters is kind of like the ugly stepsisters in the most recent Cinderella adaptation with Lily James like that's another movie that's really big with the costumes and the glamour and the glitter and I feel like they kind of dress like that and so their family's issue is there is a distant cousin of theirs that has come to stay with them and her problem is she is more beautiful or just sort of more you know she she dresses more to her taste she comes in just with her natural beauty and they're like oh no like she's gonna be (laughs) trouble for us because all the attention's gonna go to her and so like once she does look more polished it's gonna be like all attention and as we see later on like all attention is on her like she certainly takes up a good amount of attention where like typically they thought oh we're all gonna get matches and asked to dance but really it's her yeah at the same time it's like would you rather have gentlemen callers at your house and at least they see the other options or would you have none (laughs) so well it's sort of tricky for lady featherington because and probably it's best if we just like talk about like one unit yeah i think so i think we're gonna mix up (laughs) we can't go in order like we just can't do it because then we're gonna have to be circling back so let's stick to the featheringtons yeah yes one of these callers is mr colin bridgerton who's Mm -hmm. sort of the funniest most affable of the bridgerton brothers he comes to call on Marina, as well as many others, and Lady Featherington is very concerned because no one is paying her daughters any attention at all. No Mm -hmm. one is even saying hi. (laughs) 
I do like that we see a bit of the Colin and Penelope friendship because he calls her Pen. We kind of see that she does have like a crush on him and he just sees her as like, she's one of the Featherington girls. Like she's just Mm -hmm. like a pal. She hopes for more. He's very dashing. The thing is, all we know about Marina is that she was sent here. We don't really know why she was sent here. We just know that like Lady Featherington has been tasked to introduce her into society, help her get a match, that whole deal. Lady Featherington then confronts Marina and it turns out she hasn't bled in the whole month that she's been there and so they kind of realize oh you're pregnant that's why you're here and so now it's like this huge scandal for lady featherington because she's like i don't want this to touch my daughters they'll be tainted and ruined in society so i don't want to like have you out anymore so basically she kind of locks her away that's the sad thing is like marina's here not by her choice she's in love with whoever this mysterious man is i think we find out more about him later she's just trying to navigate like how do i be here when i don't want to be here and i don't want to be out in society and she just wants to be with the the guy she loves and another thing i felt really bad for her is she's basically being quarantined like properly quarantined in her (laughs) room as if pregnancy is contagious it's interesting because i feel like normally when girls got pregnant they were sent to the country and so she's just sort of rereading her letters to him and wondering like when is he gonna come for me because she's she still has it in her head that she's gonna marry him they're gonna be together they're in love and so that's sort of what's happening at shea featherington and then we meet a mysterious new character the duke of hastings who is one of our main heartthrobs of the show and he comes into town just to see lady danbury just to play pay his respects to her she's the woman who throws the ball that we meet everyone at i mean he is like the catch of the season like the queen did not declare it so but a duke is a very important title we don't know a lot about him but we know he's like the one to get not that daphne bridgerton cares because she's been declared the diamond of the season by the queen herself the only problem is her brothers particularly anthony bridgerton is scaring everyone off. So Anthony, so let's dive into the Bridgertons here. Anthony is the head of the household. Their father is years dead. His mother's like, she's calling the shots and she's like responsible for her daughter's upbringing and matchmaking. But like, he kind of is very irresponsible. He has a mistress that he's very in love with, but like he ditches her all the time. He's unreliable. Honestly, the way he treats his mistress made me hate him because I'm like, oh, you just don't like or get women at all. That's like not your <laughs> thing. He wakes up one day and he's like, oh, I guess I should take charge of Daphne's matchmaking. The problem is, he knows too much about all the young men in society. I presume you know of him too. Mr. Worthington's second son we shall find better. He is of dubious parentage. We shall not have you making life with a poet, heaven forbid, nor an eccentric. My word. And so no one's good enough for her, so he scares everyone away except this bumbling old fool named Nigel. He's the only one. It's like his last chance. He needs a nice girl. Daphne is a nice girl. He tries to go after her. She will not have it. Anthony is like, you know, actually, he's like the best option. He doesn't have debts. He's not in the whorehouses. Like, I can't find a scandal here. So yes, you are betrothed to him. I have done my due diligence. I am a good brother. Yes, I am the head of this house. Yeah, and I think that pressure kind of also came from his mom to be like, you are the head of the house. Like, I think she even says, like, if your father were here, Daphne would have already had a match. She would have already 
been betrothed, basically, he kind of feels that pressure to kind of step up because also the mom tells him, I know about your secret apartment across town. I know about your mistress. You think like you're acting responsible, but I know you're not. So like step up. And so at that point, that's when he's like, yeah, Nigel's good enough and kind of is, has made a promise behind their backs to, for Daphne to be with this guy. And so that's, I think, where, uh, Daphne is like, oh no, like I'm, <laughs> I'm not barely in society and now suddenly, uh, I'm going to marry like this much older man. It's, it's weird because like that is the goal, but like she wants to marry for love. Right now, Anthony isn't thinking clearly, I think, too. He's just like, I'm trying to do my job. I'm trying to be a responsible but he's not doing it in the best way that was something his mother said to him is like are you being a big brother or are you being the head of the household you know he's i think going too far though in one direction i think the thing that's important to mention is that the bridgertons are like a very special family because they all love each other they do things as a family like they're they're really they're not like stuffy they're very casual fun people lady bridgerton and like we never you know see her relationship with her late husband but like they were were in love. They were good friends. They were partners and they had something really, really special. Like most firstborn men of the family, Anthony didn't ask to be the head of the household. And so he just has been doing the bare minimum. In fact, I think he's been like, okay, Daphne, pick your match. And then when his mom lectures him about you need to be the head of the household, he's like, oh, well, then that means you guys have to do whatever I say. That means I call the shots. It's an interesting exploration of just sort of masculine and feminine expectations in that age, you know, because because I feel like we spend a lot of time talking about, doesn't it suck how like women had to like make themselves a certain way to get married, to attract a man, to do whatever. But I can also see the other side where it's like very difficult that Anthony now has correspondences. He has to manage land. He's got like, he also has to get married. Like his mom is not letting up on him either. In the book, he's eight years older than Daphne still unmarried TikTok. you need to sire an heir i mean he's got all these brothers so yeah. like he's got backup well i think the difference there is like it's like a home run if a woman enters society in her first year taken off the market but if she is out kind of for two or three seasons then it starts to get like a little iffy and four like oh my goodness like who are you you're basically dead at that point spinster <laughs> so, yeah yeah but for the men it's like they could be out for i mean as you see nigel who's much older yeah they could be out for decades and still be considered eligible i think joan rivers had a great stand-up bit about this where you know a woman at 24 she's like just grab someone and then you got a guy who's like 99 they're like bring him along you know he's still catch it's a great <laughs> i know bit. what you're talking about yeah, yeah um you're seeing very clearly here the fact that like nigel as a being considered as a match for daphne is considered to be fine you know and the thing is like he has more to gain from being connected to the british family than she does of being connected to whatever he does. <laughs> well, and here's what I feel like is a little like so tragic about it, like not just for Bridgerton, but for like this concept that we've created. Like she's been declared the diamond of the season. That window is going to close really soon. In fact, yeah. something that we see ha play out throughout the series is we kind of have the queen as our purveying like puppeteer later on, you know, she catches the eye of the duke like he has not proposed to her. And so she's like, I don't understand when I declare something to be amazing that means she's des like she needs to follow through on the title that i have bequeathed to her there's just this immense pressure to land the best match but she can't control
control who proposes to her. Like something that Anthony says in the beginning is like, suitor is not the same thing as proposals. I see so many of these problems sort of like translated to like what dating looks like today in terms of like getting someone to want to marry you and interest and like all of that stuff. What sort of plants our seed for the rest of the season, I assume, at the Lady Danbury's ball. Daphne meets the Duke briefly, but she like bumps into him trying to escape Nigel. So they have a very terse interaction. But later on, Nigel tracks her down to the garden. She's trying to get away from him. And he's like, you know, you need me. Like, no one else is calling on you because of your brothers. Like, I'm the only one in line to marry you, so marry me. And he's kind of, like, getting real handsy, getting really close, getting rough. And then Simon shows up, but Daphne punches Nigel in the face anyway, which is great. Everyone should learn self-defense. If you feel like you're in danger, don't hesitate to fight back. Don't wait and (laughs) see if there's a problem. Just take them out like Daphne did. I thought it was a really, really, and this is the same in the book of Daphne punching Nigel. I thought it was a great uh, way to show this scene rather than sort of Simon stepping in and pushing the guy off and sort of saving her, their bond kind of growing that way. It is sort of him seeing Daphne punch this guy and kind of take control of her life in a time, especially when women had so little control over what they could do. So uh, she was able to, in that moment, be like protect herself well that's i feel like nigel demonstrated that like he knew like there is like nothing more scandalous than being caught alone with a man it's not like you guys even had to do anything it's not like any clothes had to come off just being alone with a man was enough to assume you guys went all the way and that she's quote-unquote ruined with simon here i mean he didn't have to save her because she punched him in the face (laughs) but now we have a new problem where daphne is alone with two men i mean technically one because one of them is unconscious yeah. She's like, oh my God, like, I'm going to be ruined. I'm the diamond of the season. You leave that way. I'll leave this way. No one has to know. So Simon's issue this whole episode is moms have been approaching him, putting their daughters in a t-shirt cannon and just <laughs> launching them at his face. And he is sick of it because Simon, we don't know why, but he will never marry He will never sire an heir. We assume he's just like every guy who's like, I'm never going to get married. And we're like, okay, like you all get married eventually. Um, (laughs) But he is not. And so he's not going to marry Daphne for putting her in this scandalous situation. And he's like, I have an idea because I want all these moms to leave me alone. You need some extra oomph for like attention from men. Why don't we start a fake courtship and that like when I'm interested a ton of guys are going to be interested in you again Uh, moms are going to leave me alone it's very to all the boys I've loved before Mm -hmm. this has two of the best romance tropes of enemies to lovers and fake boyfriend all in one so it's (laughs) It's advantageous to them both uh, to make this ruse happen because on one hand Daphne can then like hopefully get some more interest and bring in some more guys and And Simon's like, cool, I don't need to worry about anyone bothering me anymore. So it kind of works out well for them both. One of their final dances, you know, he says, If this is to work, you must appear madly in love. It is an absurd plan. I find it quite brilliant. Provided you do not wish to marry me, and I do not wish to marry you, whatever should you have to lose? They're both supposed to not fall in love with each other. So, you know, we know how that's going to (laughs) go. I will say I was not really rooting for them. I liked this plan, but I wasn't rooting for them yet. I sort of didn't start to root for their relationship. Like, I don't think their feelings for each other were real until like episode three ish. 
Mm-hmm. So right now I'm like all for this plan, but I'm not yet all for Simon and Daphne at this point. I will get there. But at this point, I'm like, I like your plan. I just wish Anthony wasn't such a life ruiner. The other thing that we uh, didn't talk about with Anthony is after his mom gave him that stern lecture on like being the head of the household, he breaks things off with his girlfriend who is a soprano in the opera. And it's a really sad scene because he is jerking her around, but he really loves her. Like, I I think his feelings for her are genuine. However, he takes that sort of entitled lordship thing, basically only sees her when it's convenient for him. And he bought her an apartment and she's got all these nice things, but she doesn't have like a real relationship with him because he can never marry her. And so we're going to follow her in the coming episode. It was just a really hard thing to watch and it made me hate him so much. (laughs) There's nothing really likable about him. Like we know that he cares for his family. And that's I think the one thing that you kind of hold on to is like, even though he's super tough on all these different matches that Daphne is potentially going to have, he's doing it because like he does want like the absolute best for her. He doesn't know how to be the head of the household. So he's trying to figure it out as he goes along. He was supposed to be just like this irresponsible brother and just have fun and, you know, find a match when he can. But now it's like he does have all this responsibility. And I think because should point out that Daphne is the first woman of this family to be out in society. So I think it is like now that she is out, it's like, oh, pressure on too because coming up after her is Eloise and then after that there's two other girls once they come of age and so I think he's it's also dawning on him like it's only just begun you know his responsibility is just starting and then he's got E through H to go basically (laughs) yeah and like he you know his younger brothers I mean I think it was also very difficult to be a non-firstborn brother because you weren't going to inherit everything you had to like find something to do but at this point everyone is still very rich and or very young i think colin like just graduated college so he's like Mm -hmm. 22 it's hard because i think anthony is thinks just because he's the head like he's got this title he's the viscount and he's head of the household he's like i'm the man now but he's still finding himself that's part of what's holding everyone up and so he's like ruining it for everybody because he is just trying to figure out what's actually important on a different note i wanted to point out some of the music choices that they did here i thought it was really clever the way they worked in some modern songs you notice during some of the ball scenes there's like the string quartet playing and it's uh the group is called vitamin c quartet they had thank you next by ariana grande i thought i was crazy i was like i know this song i know this (laughs) melody am i crazy and then i was like oh no they did that that's thank you next (laughs) yeah so it's they're waiting to be asked to dance and then during gentlemen caller day it's girls like you by maroon five so i think it is one of those things where like if you notice it you're like wait is that but also like it's not so obvious that you know in a year from now this will seem dated to have these songs in there so i thought it was a clever way to include some contemporary songs in a contemporary view of this world so that's kind of where we end things we end things with um daphne and the duke dancing and they've just struck their bargain and they're gonna move forward with a fake courtship so that so daphne can get a match and the duke can avoid them i think right now i'm by default rooting for daphne and simon just because Mm -hmm. i think i know it's gonna happen so that's where i'm that's where i'm coming from we've been set up that these are the two that are meant to be together you know like that's what they've set us up with i'll say there's more 
more of this in the book where like the Duke, he's got his rakish charms, but Daphne is kind of immune to all of it because she's like, I have three older brothers. Like you can't like scandalize me. Like I've heard it all from them. They're not careful in front of me. And that's sort of like part of her charm to him in the book. Keep watching, keep listening to follow along. If you have any thoughts or comments about this show or any of the episodes, feel free to email us at thepemberleypodcast at gmail.com or you can find us on social media at the Pemberley across everything. Stay tuned for more. Thank you.